Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Tractor Supply, where we give away more chicken coops and chicken-related prizes than anyone else on the planet. We are often imitated, but never duplicated. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Today is Monday, April 21st, and I would like to thank all of you for tuning in this afternoon on Blog Talk Radio. This is a live radio show that is broadcast around the world. This radio show is all about keeping backyard poultry, show poultry, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Each week, we welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit our website, chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe for free to the digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tractor Supply. You've just entered a dimension of dirty water, a dimension of poop-filled water, a dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the dirty waterer zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water, the Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com. You need an incubator, think Brensi, the incubation specialist. Brensi has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brensi.com. Brensi spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brensi.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. When you need an incubator, think Brensi. 
technology you can trust. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to welcome Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor and founder of First State Vet Supply in just a few minutes. He's going to be teaching us all about ovarian cancer in chickens. Had a few people post on Facebook that they had lost chickens due to this uh, disease. And so um, I think it will interest a lot of chicken owners out there. So get those chicken whisper notebooks out, get them ready, and uh, get ready to take some notes from our good friend, Peter Brown, the chicken doctor. It is so good to be back broadcasting live. We It was kind of hit or miss for, for about a month, really, as we were on the road. We were on the spring 2014 Power to the Poultry Tour, sponsored by Tractor Supply Company. Uh, we went through probably 12 or 13 states. We had 15 different events, and we had a lot of family time in between, and we had a great time. We had a wonderful time meeting you, my fans. It was absolutely awesome. Uh, we even had many side trips where we visited some sponsors as well. Uh, and, again, lots of family time. We hit several zoos, many children's museums, um, many aquariums, um, several playgrounds, in fact, the largest playground we've ever seen in our lives as a true just standalone playground in, in a city was in a St. Charles, Louisiana. The thing was mammoth, several stories tall. It was amazing. Equally, if not more amazing, was the largest children's museum in the country in Indianapolis. That was an amazing visit. A little pricey, but I guess if you can claim you're the largest in the country, you can uh, charge whatever you want, I guess. But, um, again, if I live locally, it would be well worth um, the, um, the annual membership with no doubt. Um, if I went back, would I go again? Yeah, probably. I would just suck it up and pay the, uh, the kind of high daily rate. But, um, but you know, hey, it is, it is what it is. We had a great time spending time with family, meeting all of our fans across the country, which was superior. Oh, and also in Indianapolis, of course, we had the chicken limo. Of course, we had the five winners. We had chicken whisperer night on the town. 
We stopped and ate a bunch of chicken wings. That was cool at Wingstop. Uh, cruised around a little bit in the chicken limo. That was very, very, very fun. So we had a good time. It wasn't without its ups or downs. Uh, we had uh, a, a connectivity uh, problem with the hitch from the RV to the car on, well, three different occasions, really one issue. The first time it happened was in Oklahoma City, and that's when I was actually hooking up, and uh, the flap broke right off the uh, connector, the seven-way plug. It was cheap plastic. had already broken once in, in a year and a half. We've, we've had it installed, had to replace it, should have known better at that time. So um, luckily, there was a uh, U-Haul dealer right down like two miles from the RV park. Went down there, and I said, look, I'm, I'm tired of messing with this thing. I want to upgrade to a steel one, metal, whatever. It's not going to break, snap off. I want it done the right the first time, or should I say the third time. He got that done, rewired it, and uh, two days later, because I had not been driving at dark, uh, I noticed uh, as it started to get dark, I put the lights on, and the lights on the trailer weren't coming on, so I'm like, great. It was dusk. So uh, I found out that, you know, when I put my hazards on, everything in the, everything would flash. If I put my brake on, the left rear brake light would come on. If I turned the lights all the way on, only one rear light would come on. So he had definitely done something screwy with uh, wiring it up. So when we got into Independence, Missouri, uh, I took it by a place, and he said that uh, he didn't have any uh, wiring specialist, if you will. So but he said he thought he could get us on the road. And um, let me back up, actually. Um, the second time we had an issue, the first time he rewired it, it wasn't a lighting issue. He, he wired it where, um, I don't know what happened, he, he re-ran the wiring assembly over my exhaust, and it melted it in that trip between there and, and Independence. So when I got to Independence, as I was literally pulling up to the RV park, my brake controller said, no, no trailer brakes. I'm like, well, this is great. So that's what that issue was, that it had melted. Wired up correctly, but had melted. And then the second guy dewired it incorrectly, so I didn't have lights at night. And then finally, the third time's a charm. We got it done, but no worries. I didn't, you know, maybe 30 minutes here, an hour there in delay, but that, that was nothing compared to, uh, you know, road uh, ups and downs. So I had no problems with that. Just glad to get it done finally the right time with an upgraded piece of equipment that shouldn't break on me in the future. Um, of course, at the beginning of our trip, right really before, Thank goodness it was uh, it was kind of done with before my first event in Mobile when we had the uh, the head and chest cold went through the family but that was really done uh, I was still probably having to have a Hall's cough drop here or there or, or a little bit of a tissue during my uh, first event but for the most part it was over but that ran through the family and then after uh, Lake Charles which I think at the Children's Museum uh, Caleb initially got no Lily got the stomach bug. And then Caleb got the stomach bug, and then I got the stomach bug, and then we thought like a week later, Jen was in the clear, but next thing you know, she got it like a week after I got it. So anyhow, that went through, but we didn't have to miss any events. It was actually during maybe a, it only lasted like not even 24 hours. Um, and so that was that was a good thing, and it was just, uh, it was uh, just the nausea part, not the other part, thank goodness. So um, that went, there's, it was a, other than those two things, it was a great trip. We had fun with the family. Uh, we had a great time work-wise visiting all the tractor supply stores. We did meeting fans. It was absolutely wonderful. And we are looking forward to uh, my fall tour, and that's going to be right now. It's tentative. Uh, so if you live in this area, don't, don't put on your calendar yet. But we're looking at this fall. Um, heading up to the northeast, meaning Virginia to Maine. Now, will we get all the way up to Maine? I have no idea. 
Um, but that, that's kind of the corridor we're looking at, Virginia to Maine. Uh, we started looking at the major highways that go up that way, i.e. 95, and, and trying to pick some towns that are hot with chickens right now going up 95, keeping it close to the interstate. But uh, that's, that's what we're looking for. We're mapping it out now. We're getting our route down. Once we get the route down that we want to take, then we will actually um, get uh, pick cities and towns where tractor supply stores are that are hot, according to their data, um, with uh, chick sales and chick supply sales. And then uh, we'll get all that approved with TSC, and then I will make the announcement. But we're looking at starting it somewhere around the third week of August. I know I will have another national webinar, another educational webinar, free to everybody, with USDA and CDC around the 19th uh, or the week of the 19th of August. So same thing, we'll uh, head on up to Atlanta to the CDC headquarters, uh, camper in tow, all packed up for the tour up to the Northeast. We'll kick it off again with this webinar in uh, probably around the third week of August, and then we'll bam hit right up 95 and uh, start hitting some stores from Virginia to Maine. Again, that's just the area we're looking at. I don't know what states we're going to hit. There's a lot of states up there. We'll just see. And I'll again plan for uh, 14 or 15 events uh, up in that area. So we'll see where we end up going, and hopefully it'll be in an area where many people can come out and attend the Getting Started with Backyard Poultry Workshop and book signing and meet and greet and pictures and autographs. We'll have a really good time with that. So, But nonetheless, it was a really good trip. By the way, the magazine is doing very well. Chicken Whisper Magazine just released. Uh, so I want to remind you that there are two opportunities for you to win brand new chicken coops, okay? Number one, the first opportunity is a contest we are running on our Facebook page, okay, with extremecoops.com. And that, that coop is a an all-fiberglass coop. When you go to look at it, it looks like these kind of traditional Amish designs that you see made out of wood. But it's the same design, but it's made out of fiberglass. It only weighs about 350 pounds, if memory serves. How easy to clean, hose it down. How easy to disinfect, hose it down, disinfect it, wash it out, clean it out. Lighter weight, not going to rot on you. So, so it's got some perks. I have not seen this up close. I have not touched it up close. Um, the only thing is you may have to somehow, and they probably have figured it out, figured out a way to secure it to the ground, either with deep tent posts or some type of uh, rods that you can and you can attach through the legs into the ground in case you live in a very windy area. Again, it's 350 pounds, but it has more uh, benefits than, 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 than if that's even a negative, it may not even be needed. We're going to have the company on and tell us about their coops since they are giving one away here for the month of April. So you only have maybe uh, a week left to actually enter that contest so you can get all those details on how to win that coop. It's about $1,500 value. Um, that contest on our Facebook page is one way you can win a brand new chicken coop. The second way is we have a beautiful chicken coop equally as well in our magazine. Um, you can enter that also for free, okay? And um, you can find out how to do that uh, in the magazine itself or on the digital edition. Now, you can subscribe to Chicken Whisper Magazine for free. You'll get the digital edition, edition emailed to you. You can read it on your, I guess your iPhone, your iPad, your laptop, your desktop, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there's a page in there that tells you exactly how to enter the, uh, I've also posted it on our Facebook page. You can go and try to find it. Um, or you can subscribe to the 
uh, print edition, but if you subscribe to the print edition, you're not going to get that until the summer issue comes out in June. So it's best if you want to enter that coop contest to go ahead and go to our Facebook page, look for where I posted how to enter the coop contest from the magazine. Um, you can read the magazine for free while you're there too, the digital edition, and then it will tell you exactly. And in fact, there's a link there exactly to the enter page where you just put in your information, and I think it's 25 words or less. Type in why you love to keep backyard poultry. I know that's tough in 25 words or less, <laughs> but just do the best you can. And then that's uh, so we're giving away two awesome chicken coops. That uh, contest is from Green Chicken Coop Company. If you remember, they gave away the big coop contest. A coop in January, and they're doing it again for our magazine. This coop plus shipping is like $2,800 value, the one we're giving away our magazine. So definitely uh, definitely do that. Also, speaking of magazines, I'm going to tell you this. I won't mention the company name, and I use this uh, on, on the tour a lot during our blogbuster segment that we wrap up with with our uh, presentation, which everybody seems to really enjoy. Um, I got a phone call from the CDC in a, uh, I guess let's call it a competitor magazine that's been around for a while regarding backyard chickens. And they weren't happy with a few things they saw in the magazine. So we even had a phone call and a, and a, and a, uh, a, a, um, a conference call with them with several people on the line about this. Um, number one, they were not real happy that there was a, looked to be a three or four-year-old girl kissing a baby duckling on the cover of this magazine. They weren't real happy with that because, of course, the, the, the risk of salmonella. And uh, and I say this in my um, presentation. Look, I get it. We can't live in a bubble. If your five-year-old granddaughter is now dead in the ground because she got salmonella from kissing baby chicks or ducks, and it has happened, then that's going to be a very serious topic that's going to hit close to home with you. Okay? But if you're 80 years old and you've raised chickens all your life and you've never gotten salmonella, you think that's hogwash. And the risk is hogwash, but it's not. So, so the issue there is depends on your life history of what's important to you and what hits close to home. But if your granddaughter is dead because she played around with baby chicks, here's another instance. Well, I'll, wait, I'll save that for just a second. So, so the issue there is they weren't real happy with that. Number two, um, there was a picture they, they weren't, they had, you know, they really didn't have anything to say about all the chickens that were dressed up in clothes, okay? But there was also a picture in this magazine of a live chicken. Uh, I guess it was dressed up in a little chef's uniform, um, chef's outfit, on the kitchen counter, inches away from where food was being prepared. That didn't make them any happy. Uh, again, if you do that every day and you've never gotten sick, great. But, you know, if I interviewed somebody who, who's dead now because of it, it's probably going to hit pretty close to home to their family, right? And then finally, there was an article, um, and I, re I read through that article uh, about chickens as therapy animals. Now, it was more geared toward, um, it was more geared towards how, uh, well, have seen um, chickens be beneficial to their children that may have autism or ADHD or, or different issues like that. Um, it was not necessarily an article about taking chickens into nursing homes and hospitals like some sites are really pushing right now. Um, and so they, they weren't real keen on that either. It's, it's part, I'm glad I'm on the hotline uh, uh, instant. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm on the hotline uh, uh, speed battle at the CDC. But um, it's, uh, it's like all this information outbreaks, things like that, which is which is a good thing. So I can let you guys know. But um, there, there was 
an instance, factual information, no denying it, that, again, somebody's grandma is now dead in the ground because somebody thought it was a good idea to bring baby chicks to a nursing home. And uh, there is now a dead grandma in the ground. And I, and I say that to, to, to open your eyes, folks, um, because she got salmonella from these baby chicks that were brought there to brighten their day. And so, uh, again, I go back to, to when I do my pres- live presentations. I tell folks I'm not here to make anybody angry. Just like uh, Peter Brown says, I'm not here to change the way you're doing anything. Here's the information. Do with it. Do with it what you want to do with it. You know, dipping your chicken's legs in used motor oil to rid of leg mites, you know, like Grandpa did for 80 years, may not be the best thing anymore. But if you're doing it and it's working for you, keep on doing it. So my point with these things is, again, if that was your grandma that is now dead because of salmonella from baby chicks, because of it was used as a therapy animal, that's going to be a very uh, uh, a topic that's going to hit home with you. But if you're 80 years old and you grew up on a poultry farm and you've never gotten sick one day in your life, you'll think it's hogwash. So just kind of keep things in perspective. But the latest issue of this competitor magazine <laughs> sparked a phone call to me from the CDC saying, how can we do this? How can we get this information out there for folks? Um, uh, so they're aware. So at least, at least so they're aware of the risks. Some people have died because of this. And maybe it's a relatively small number. But if that relatively small number of people that are dead now were your family, you would take that very seriously. So, again, it's all relative regarding life, but um, I just thought that was very uh, interesting. The summer issue is going to come out in June. We've got a lot of hot topics there that we're going to be talking about. Um, we've got uh, the dangers of attracting wild birds to your backyard. We're going to have a great article from Peter Brown about supplements, vitamins and supplements. Uh, we've got one about uh, uh, bursal disease. We're going to have one about calm, cool, and collected, keeping your uh, chickens calm, cool, and collected throughout the summer months. We're going to have an article. Let's see who else we've got here. Oh, about... Chickens belong outdoors, not indoors. Uh, and then we're going to be talking about, um, there's one more. Oh, washing and refrigerating eggs. And this is an amazingly hot topic right now. really always has been. Uh, but we've got, I finally found somebody without a agenda, quote, unquote. I really didn't want the article written by CDC, FDA, or USDA, because then everybody would be like, well, of course, they're going to tell you to collect immediately, wash immediately, and refrigerate immediately. Um, so we get that. So, so I'm on with that. So, but, but I wanted a um, uh, uh, kind of somebody with you know, where people immediately wouldn't say, "Oh, he's just got an agenda." That's why I'm saying this. Uh, somebody uh, again with a lot of great credentials is going to write this article about uh, washing and refrigerating eggs. Do we? Do we not have to? Why do they not in Europe? Why do we do here? All this kind of information. So, um, and again, you can take that information. I don't even know what it's going to say. They may say, "Oh, eggs will be fine outside, sitting on your counter for nine months." I have no clue what it's going to say. Um, no clue. <laughs> so we'll just all have to see um, when, uh, when when we receive it. So and why, if we should wash our eggs, taking the bloom on, you know. And it's funny when when I talk to folks that say, "Well, I, I never wash my eggs. I leave the bloom on because it keeps the eggs fresher longer." Really? Um, how long are you keeping your eggs, dude? <laughs> I mean, are you keeping your eggs for like nine months? If you if I leave the bloom on to keep my eggs fresher longer, but yet I eat them within seven days really making a difference? Really? So uh, anyway, hey, if that's your call, go for it. But if you think keeping a bloom on is keeping your eggs fresher for nine more days before you eat them, then uh, you got a study to prove that. <laughs> what are those funny takes? So anyway, that'll be a good article for our, for our summer issue. Um, 
and I'm really looking forward to that. That'll be in uh, in June. In fact, uh, all the uh, articles are due on this Friday for the preliminary, so I'll be interested in reading all of those from our contributors at Chicken Whisper Magazine. Okay, let me get over here to the uh, switchboard, and uh, it's been a while, but it is my uh, pleasure and privilege to uh, to bring on our next guest, Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, founder of First State vetsupply.com. Write that down, firststatevetsupply.com. If they don't have it, you don't need it in most all cases. And when you order something from them, it's going to come with the directions you need for your backyard flock. It's not going to say, mix this in 800 gallons of water. And you're thinking, where in the heck am I going to get a container that holds 800 gallons of water to give this medicine to my six chickens? So it's going to give you that information that you're going to need for your backyard flock, dosage, delivery, the whole nine yards. So uh, first state that supply dot com. Let's give Peter a big chicken whisper welcome. Hey Peter, long time no chat. Hey Andy, I, I thought for a while you might have fallen off the face of the earth. <laughs> I know it, man. I'm telling you what, it was a. Uh, uh, we almost did. I think I, I think I almost went to the edge of the <laughs> earth. It looked like driving through um, Kansas, but but no. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but but no, it was just a tornado passing by. So we were all good. Um, oh, okay. I, I thought, yep. <laughs> Not much to worry about there. No, no. In fact, uh, there was one time we did literally got into a storm shelter at one of the RV resorts. In fact, Jen specifically picked RV resorts through Tornado Alley that had uh, tornado shelters. And there was one that was, uh, we would call it a close call, but people there were like, if I can't see it, I ain't doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I if I can see it, then I might I might uh, I might consider taking cover. But uh, if I can't see it, just another day in Kansas. So uh, <laughs> I'm like, I think more power to you. Me and my kids will be down here in the shelter. Just uh, <laughs> I think for a lot of folks that live in areas like that, uh, it's, it is common. I know I lived in Indiana for a while years <laughs> back, and. Uh, we had our fair share of uh, tornado scares and that kind of stuff, and uh, I had the same approach that you did. Everybody else just run around like no no big deal. So yeah, it was, I know it. <laughs> just, it was uh, pretty interesting. The nature of the beast, I guess. But uh, absolutely, I guess like just like living in California, it's like yeah, there, there could be an earthquake or or, or a mudslide <laughs> or, or a fire, but you know I'm still got to go down and buy groceries today, and I can't, yeah. can't you know. You know, you still gotta still gotta go and go and go. So no, it's yeah. one of those things. Get get used to it. So, but um, thanks for coming on today. Interesting topic: um, ovarian cancer and uh, and chickens. And I did have a couple of people post on Facebook that they had lost chickens to this very disease. So mm-hmm. I know it's uh, it, it kind of hits home with some of our yep. listeners. So we're ready to uh, we're ready to hear about it, and learn about it, my friend. Yeah, it's not a huge uh, uh, disease to cover like some of some other diseases. It's pretty straightforward. But I thought. Um, uh, I've dealt with this with a, with a few folks, and I've seen it a few times, uh, you know, throughout my own career. And I thought, you know, we've talked about everything else, so I thought that this would be, you know, a, a very, uh, uh, very reasonable topic uh, to bring to the forefront and, and have a little chat about it. And it gets people thinking, and, and um, you know, because sometimes it's easy to get caught up in. Uh, the symptomology of a particular thing and home in on one aspect of a particular disease and then start calling everything the same thing. Um, if you go back and look at, uh, you know, Merrick's vaccine and those things before, the, uh, well, the Merrick's disease rather than the vaccine, uh, before the vaccine was uh, developed, um, they lumped all of the uh, uh, 
neoplastic, that's what they're called, neoplastic diseases, which would cover uh, lymphoid leukosis, Marix, uh, the uh, uh, osteopetrosis, uh, the um, ovarian cancer, and, and all of the others, were all lumped into one thing. So you really didn't know what you had. You really didn't know if you had a true case of Marix or a true case of ovarian cancer or a true, true case of lymphoid leukosis because they weren't able, uh, a lot of the veterinarians and, and laboratories back then to differentiate between one another. So they just kind of put it all in the same pot and called it the same thing. And it wasn't until uh, uh, until, uh, later, I know the exact break point, but probably closer to the 40s and 50s when they finally started separating these things out into uh, particular diseases that were caused by different things rather than lumping them all together and calling them the same thing. So that's how it's uh, kind of uh, evolved uh, in, in that respect. Uh, you know, Merrick goes back to uh, uh, Dr. Merrick in Hungary, who, who gave the first <clears throat> known account, really, of, of the disease and its, its uh, course and uh, what uh, uh, nerves and organs in the body that Merrick first uh, uh, affected. And that was back in probably around uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, as far as that was concerned. Uh, ovarian cancer goes back to early 1900s. Uh, there may be some research around uh, about it prior to that, and they may not have even called it that uh, at that point in time. Um, but uh, you may even find a document, uh, a document that, that you wrote back then about it, possibly, right? Not quite. Not quite. Not quite. Not quite. Not quite. In actuality, uh, I just turned uh, 68 the 13th of April. So um, I know you're a very young man. Yeah, man. blessed to be here. Blessed to be here. Yep. Yeah, but um, this particular disease, um, we generally don't see it in young birds at all. If we do, it's a freak thing comparatively. Um, it is uh, triggered by uh, age, and it is also triggered by the fact of the more prolific a bird is laying-wise, uh, the greater the opportunity is for this disease to become prevalent uh, in the bird. Um, it is a virus, uh, adenocarcinoma virus, um, and uh, which is no big deal to uh, all you have to do is no ovarian cancer. The the actual causative agent really is immaterial for most people, uh, and most people probably will never really uh, see this because even now when it goes into a laboratory uh, for diagnosis, uh, we see a lot of them coming out uh, as lymphoid leukosis when they're not necessarily such. Um, we see birds going in with symptoms of Merrick's and coming out with uh, no diagnosis for Merrick's whatsoever, even even uh, on gross necropsy and uh, on histopathology. So uh, you never really know at the end of the day, um, you know, what kind of diagnosis you're going to get. It depends on uh, the laboratory that you're bringing it to, how often they see these things, how competent the uh, 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 the veterinarian is that's doing it. And I don't mean that, that he doesn't know what he's doing. If you haven't seen a whole lot of things, it's you know over the years it's pretty hard to guess at some of these things and say so make a stab at it and and fill out the paperwork. But um, so this disease you would see in birds uh, predominantly that are uh, over a year of age. We generally do not see it uh, under a year. We are more likely to see this in birds that are um, somewhere around um, 30 months. 24 to 30 months in that age bracket and up. 
the older the bird and the more prolific the bird was as a layer, uh, the more likely you are to see this bird then succumb to the disease. Okay. So when you start getting birds that are four, five, six years old, uh, they can start dropping like flies. We generally don't see this that much, uh, to my knowledge, um, and I didn't when I worked in this section of the po uh, commercial poultry industry. Uh, we just generally didn't see it uh, in our flocks unless we had a flock that we were holding over and molting it out and then bringing it back in lay, and then we would start to see them drop at the end of the, the lay cycle there because they would start to push that uh, early window of opportunity uh, for this particular disease to uh, to progress. So a couple of things. There isn't anything you can do about it once the bird, um, once the bird uh, comes down with this particular disease. Um, uh, there, there is no way out of the box. Uh, it's usually by the time symptoms are seen, uh, it's progressed uh, dramatically. Uh, and um, there just it really isn't much you can do. If, if a bird is a favorite bird, the things that you can do for it is to keep it comfortable. Uh, they do not appear, to my knowledge, to be any pain. It uh, doesn't uh, seem to be any pain associated with it. Uh, it's more of a, uh, uh, basically a debilitating disease um, from the standpoint that uh, this particular disease, in the way that it, that it manifests itself, it will start out um, on the epithelial, or what we call the surface tissues, of the ovary, and uh, it will manifest itself out from there. And when I say manifest, it will spread out from there. Um, so its, it's home base will basically be the ovary itself, but it will start spreading through the body cavity, uh, has a real uh, affinity for the uh, visceral organs, the uh, duodenal loop, the pancreas, and, and those kinds of places uh, within the bird's body cavity. So. Um, uh, when it does that and it starts to grow, uh, these tumors um, can grow from uh, uh, anywhere from, let's say, uh, one centimeter uh, on up, okay? It's not uncommon to see um, uh, larger tumors because these particular tumors have a, a tendency to coalesce, uh, which all that means is they, they band together and group together and become one, so to speak. So they can become fairly uh, uh, large uh, within the body cavity. When that happens, that starts to strangulate and cut off um, the uh, intestines to to a degree, and that uh, extra pressure um, forces the bird into an, an ascites situation. And for those of you who are not familiar with ascites, we went through that uh, nine ways from Sunday on the uh, on one of the shows that we did here a while back. Uh, but basically, it's an osmotic pressure differential, uh, meaning that the bird will start to lose uh, and leak uh, venous fluid from the veins into the body cavity. So um, this will give you a uh, stance in a bird who will tend to walk more upright and may even start to waddle as the uh, fluid accumulates in the body cavity. Now, uh, again, this can be misdiagnosed uh, uh, by looking at a bird and saying, well, it's, uh, it's an internal layer or it's, got, it's egg bound or, or those kinds of things. Uh, there certainly are other options uh, other than this particular thing. But when you start to, um, if this were a bird that were one year of age and were showing those kind of symptoms, I would opt then to look at the possibility of ascites, the possibility of egg bound, the possibility of an internal layer because of the age. When we start to get out to the age where we would look at these particular birds um, 
and uh, you know up at two, three, four years of age or better, we would probably start to move away from the possibility of uh, the egg binding type thing. Egg binding, in my opinion, uh, for the most part, is is more rare than common. Uh, not saying it doesn't happen, but most birds end up being internal layers, dropping ovums into the body cavity, or uh, through reverse peristalsis of the uh, of the oviduct, uh, continually dropping uh, completed eggs uh, in the body cavity and uh, end up dying from uh, either egg yolk peritonitis or peritonitis uh, caused by the um, the eggs being in the body cavity. The the body will try to to uh, um, to wall it off and to uh, to prevent it from uh, uh, these eggs that are being dropped into the body cavity from going anywhere, and they, they actually end up calcifying them. And uh, but to no avail, generally, uh, generally the bird will succumb. The pressure gets put on the kidneys. The kidneys start to fail, uh, and and so on. And, and then they start to fill up the body cavity with water, uh, which is coming from from the forced uh, ascites. I say forced ascites because if we remember when we go back, ascites can be caused by a number of things, um, not just limited to the uh, ovarian cancer, uh, but it can also be from uh, uh, too much uh, salt in the feed. Uh, it can also be from birds that are fast growing and the heart can't keep up with the, uh, uh, the body growth and is forced to, um, to pump more and more blood. Uh, to supply more and more oxygen and puts the bird into a right ventricular heart failure situation, and uh, you start to get this uh, venous leaking material into the body cavity. Now, I have personally drained as much as a whole pint at one time out of a bird's body cavity. It's a big relief mm -hmm. for the bird, no question. Uh, the, the, uh, if you look at the bird's anatomy, uh, the, the lungs are fixed, the uh, air sacs uh, are uh, both in the thoracic and, and the uh, abdominal cavity, and uh, the bird needs those to breathe, so you start filling that body cavity up with water. It's it's a it's a slow death. Uh, it's it's the same thing as a human being in congestive heart failure. You know, you can mm -hmm. always tell. You know, you, you you've been through it, Andy, with people. You know, as, as a paramedic, yeah. you can tell yeah. when when people are starting to fill up with water, they start to sound like they're underwater, and technically they are from the inside out. So, same thing here with with uh, with the birds, and um, so the ascites becomes a problem. Uh, uh, draining the body cavity uh, is uh, quite simple. Uh, you would uh, raise the, the wing, either the right side, left side, makes no difference. Uh, you find the rib cage and run your finger down the rib towards the keel bone and then take your finger and, and just slip it across and you can feel the, the ribs and go to you find the last rib and go about. Now this is almost but not completely under the bird, okay? And uh, But you're going to go to the last last rib and go out another half to three quarters of an inch and then you're going to take a large bore uh, maybe a uh, 16 gauge needle uh, 18 gauge needle short um, and put that in in the in there and just let the water out like drain a swimming pool and it'll come out it won't take much it'll come right out uh, there are other methods to to try to do that uh, to uh, you can use lasix um, um, to uh, to help uh, you know dissipate the water uh, and it does work it's just uh, you've got to give it on a continual basis, uh, as, as far as that's concerned. But th this is what you'll see, with, you know, with this thing. Now, um, uh, like I said, you, you can't fix it for the most part. Uh, you can keep the ascites at bay um, by uh, draining the body cavity, by using the uh, Lasix, um, but you'll not be able to keep the uh, the ovarian cancer from advancing. Uh, it spreads very readily through the lymphatic system of the bird. 
and uh, becomes, uh, I won't say systemic because it's not going to go to a lot of different areas of the bird. It's not going to end up in the muscles, but like I said, it's going to end up uh, in the uh, uh, duodenal loop. It's going to end up uh, in the pancreas. Uh, and therein lies another problem because once you start affecting these particular organs of the body, you start to affect appetite. You start to affect metabolism. Uh, you know, the pancreas uh, in, in humans uh, is very, very delicate as it is in, in birds. And when things get into the pancreas that shouldn't be there, um, uh, they are very, very difficult to, to fix, human or otherwise. Um, uh, but th this um, this is an, an, an important thing to, to keep in mind because most of these birds will start backing away from their feed. So if you're trying to make a diagnosis without doing a necropsy, um, you want to look at the age of the bird, you want to look at the stance of the bird, you want to see if the bird has uh, got any kind of a rattle uh, without any discharge from the nose or the mouth or the eyes, uh, no swollen eyes and that kind of thing. Um, that kind of rules out a, a, a true respiratory issue and kind of leans more towards a problem with the uh, ascites. Uh, you look at you know egg production still laying, not laying. Usually they end up not laying, and uh, uh, the appetite starts to go away. They start walking like a duck, upright like a penguin. Uh, all of these things play into, you know, are you going to be right? Maybe 60, 70 percent of the time. You'd be more accurate than most, uh, and you'll never know for sure until the bird is uh, necropsied. But um, so we're we're seeing more of this. I think it's because more keep people now are keeping you know backyard chickens than have had in the past, and uh, um, there is a is a connection between humans and chickens. I said this before on the show when we talked about the comb and hyaluronic acid, and we talked about birth defects in chickens versus uh, birth defects in humans. A chicken is used as a um, a model in the um, uh, human sector for uh, early childhood development and childbirth defects. And it's um, also used for the hyaluronic acid to replace uh, the uh, worn-out uh, meniscus and stuff in people's knees. And uh, it's also used uh, as a model. It has been for quite some years as a model for ovarian cancer in humans, uh, trying to understand the uh, relationship of how the uh, cancer starts in, in, in the chickens and the humans. Uh, there is somewhat of a relationship, whether it be 100% uh, is still up in the air, and um, how much of a model the chicken will still be used for uh, is, is still uh, not de been determined. But um, as in as in chickens, as in humans, the majority of people who have ovarian cancer uh, don't discover it until it's pretty much too late. And even now, the uh, the most modern uh, chemotherapies uh, just have a tendency not to work. Um, and in chickens, you know, to my knowledge, most people are not going to go and uh, and do the chemotherapy thing. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's productive. But uh, so these these tumors, uh, if you want to uh, look at the size, uh, a, a one millimeter tumor uh, is about 0.4 uh, inches. Okay, so a little over a third of an inch, uh, if you want to look at it that way. So if you had a a, um, a seven millimeter tumor, you'd have something pretty good sized. And it's not uncommon to see something up around five, six, seven uh, uh, millimeters as these tumors uh, start to grow within the body cavity and start to coalesce and, and, and group together and, and become one. Uh, they can become quite uh, massive. Um, so this disease, <clears throat> many times in a laboratory setting, will get l l uh, uh, lumped in. Uh, 
somebody will look at it and say, oh, yeah, it's lymphoid leukosis, and they're done with it, when indeed it's ovarian cancer versus lymphoid leukosis. And um, with lymphoid leukosis, we generally don't see the ascites. Uh, we could, but we generally don't. Uh, mm-hmm. We generally see, uh, we do see some inapidence. We do see a, a pretty wet back end uh, with a, a lot of sloppy droppings uh, with the lymphoid leukosis. Uh, we generally do not see a bird that is paralyzed, okay? Uh, what we do see is a bird that when you palpate the liver, and now what palpate means is to put your hand on the breast there and go beyond uh, the breast material and feel the liver, and you'll start to see a liver that ends up being very large. Uh, there are other organs of the body that the uh, uh, lymphoid leukosis virus uh, attacks, the spleen, the heart, and, and that kind of stuff, but it generally does not uh, go into the ovaries at all, okay? There are exceptions to almost every rule uh, when you start looking at some of these things. Uh, lymphoid leukosis, we generally start looking at birds that are at least four months and, uh, old and up, um, and there is some resistance to all of these things except for the ovarian cancer as birds age. Uh, where the ovarian cancer is different, it is age-related for the most part, and it is uh, dependent upon the constant ovulation of an ovum from the uh, uh, from the ovaries, and um, the uh, technically you could look at it as kind of like abuse. Um, the, the, that tissue is constantly being abused, uh, constantly inflamed. Uh, there are hormones involved uh, in all of this uh, stuff that drive all of this. So the more prolific the bird is. Um, you know, the greater the chance that in its later life uh, it'll start having these kinds of problems and, <clears throat> and succumb to the disease. Something that comes to mind for me is that, you know, the commercial poultry industry is continually uh, uh, trying to breed for basically an egg a day. And um, uh, I'm sure that if they could get a chicken to lay two eggs a day, they would do that. So it, it comes to my mind then as to uh, whether or not uh, that kind of an increase will increase the incidence then of the ovarian cancer um, you know that we'll end up seeing at the end of the day most of the of the um, uh, lab reports that you end up getting don't seem to to uh, add in the commercial uh, aspect of it it seems to be a lot of it uh, because a lot of surveillance now is done on the backyard flocks uh, more so than anything and uh, most uh, commercial uh, poultry operations have uh, veterinarians on staff and, and that kind of stuff, so they take care of a lot of stuff on their own. Uh, the only uh, time they usually will go to the uh, the state laboratories and stuff is when it's a crisis-type situation, or they look at some histopathology to be done or some extra blood work that they can't do or don't do in-house. But um, So that it remains to be seen down the road whether or not those kinds of uh, Things will will start coming out uh, in uh, in the commercial uh, egg, egg uh, type birds, mainly uh, leghorns and that type. Um, there also can be a possibility of some uh, genetic susceptibility to this in certain breeds. Uh, this at this point is really unknown. There's nobody that really has done it other than to show that uh, the commercial breeds uh, of uh, uh, white leghorns and such. Uh, have more of an incidence of it if they're held over um, for a, a, an extended uh, laying period. Um, I have seen uh, reports of birds that were kept for experimental pur- purposes, and um, 
those birds started dying from uh, ovarian cancer right around uh, two years, two and a half years of, of age, you know, one here, one there. Um, this was a flock, I believe, of 200 birds in a controlled setting, and um, the long-term effect of it, they were all dead from ovarian cancer by age nine, so nine, ten years old. So, um, uh, you know, it's just one of those those particular uh, diseases that um, um, has, has no uh, good outcome to it. Um, it's um, something you can uh, partially self-diagnose. Um, it should be uh, noted as well that most of the birds that um, that I have seen laboratory reports on uh, are in generally good health. They're live, lively birds. They're they're active. They're out and about every day, uh, going about their business, eating and bugs and whatever they do, and and, and so on, laying eggs and and, and what have you. And so it's not, you know, an emaciated bird that we're seeing. It's not a debilitated bird that we're seeing. It is a, a, a good, a healthy, uh, good-fleshed, uh, you know, a productive bird uh, that ends up succumb succumbing to, to the disease. And um, I, I know for a fact um, that it is not just in the leghorn breed. It is in others because I've handled some of those particular uh, cases. And... Um, you know, even in our own flock here, our flock is geriatric, and um, even though they're not necessarily have been over the years prolific layers, uh, we have had um, uh, one go down to ovarian cancer itself. So, you know, it's one of those things that um, uh, the longer you keep them, uh, you know, the, the greater the possibility that you're probably in your lifetime going to see this. If you're turning over birds pretty quickly, um, you're probably not going to see... Uh, you know a whole lot of uh, uh, of this type of, uh, of of problem with you know within within the flock, and uh, you know again it's not new. It's been around since you know like like I say the early 1900s, and um, uh, it's it's a it's a situation <clears throat> that, um, that we're probably going to see more and more of, um, and, and as you know as time goes on, as people keep keeping more and more birds and keeping them as pets and so on, uh, you know, which there's nothing wrong with keeping them as, as pets. Ours are basically pets here, you know, it, it's just the way it is. And, and, uh, We've had plenty of pets that were named that Jen wouldn't even think about uh, uh, eating, but yet we keep them separate. You know, we, we raise meat birds and we just don't name them, we don't, you know, but we have definitely our pets, Princess Petunia. I forget some of the other names she's named them. But, but anyhow, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely. Well, they all have their own personalities, and they're all, like, out here. Um, you know, it's yep. just throw this out here. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about, basically, other than the personality of this bird. She's an undersized nankin. She's really small. And um, every morning when you go out to feed, uh, keep the feed in a, a metal trash can, and... Um, as soon as you take that top off, if you're not watching, she will jump right in that trash can every morning like <laughs> clockwork. Every morning. Not just one morning, not just now and then. Every morning you have to watch if she doesn't jump in the trash can. Uh, I'm not just going to do a whole lot. You know, the, the thing is, I'll probably forget and put the damn lid back on. <laughs> I was picturing that as you were talking about that. I thought about it a few times. I figured maybe I'll teach you a lesson, but I couldn't do it. <laughs> but it, it's just funny how they have, and, you know, and you, you pick her up and you say, you know, what are you doing, silly? And I put her up on the roost and stuff, and then she go about her business. And then if you're still not watching, she'll come right back and do it again. 
So it, it's a it's, you know it, it's a crazy thing, but they all have their own personalities, and uh, um, you know it's uh, like I said, most of ours are roosters at this point too. So you know we have to deal with with that. You know, first thing in the morning, everybody's got to act stupid, and then um, we have enough feeder and water space for them to spread out fairly quickly in the morning. So uh, we really don't run it too much like that. And then the yard is big enough that they hang out in different areas all by themselves. So it's uh, it is an interesting thing from from that that uh, perspective on that. But um, so the inappetence again. I want to go back over that because um, I've been asked that question many many times. So the inability to eat or the unwillingness to eat is a manifestation or an outgrowth of the pancreas being involved, the duodenal loop being involved, and more than likely some, something affecting the proventriculus, which is the bird's true stomach. And uh, it's the only glandular stomach that they have. And um, birds eat in a funny way. We all... Uh, think that birds take in food, it goes to the crop, it goes to the proventriculus, it goes to the gizzard, uh, goes to the, uh, to the to sequel tonsils, and then it goes back out the back end. Yes and no. Um, it depends on the coarseness of the food. Um, it depends uh, on uh, how much moisture is in the food. It depends on how much uh, water they have access to. But the food can actually go from the crop to the proventriculus and then go through the gizzard and work its way up to the uh, to the uh, the more coarse material will work its way to the um, um, uh, yeah, sequel tonsils because the sequel tonsils are fermenting places. So things that need to be fermented and broken down further that are more coarse, more fibrous, are going to end up there. The others are going to make their way uh, down into the uh, to the intestine. If it's not ground well enough, it'll end up going back through the gizzard possibly even back to the proventriculus and coming right back through again and then out the back end. So it's any time you start blocking something there, whether it be from nerve involvement uh, and things of that nature, um, you're going to have birds that don't have a great appetite. That's why when we get a bird that doesn't want to eat, <coughs> giving it uh, grit and giving it all kinds of other whole type things is not a good idea because they have a tendency then to sit there and, and not uh, be digested. And by that I mean the proventriculus, it gets a stimulus to, for the bird to, uh, to open that opening to the proventriculus and let food through in two ways. One of the ways is by food being at the opening to the proventriculus, which then triggers the bird to recognize that food is there and then that food will be allowed to come through the proventriculus. The other method that, that happens is through the vagus nerves, which are two nerves that run straight down the back of the, of, the, of the spine of the bird, but they also control the urge to eat. So lots of times when you have birds with marix or even lymphoid leukosis or possibly even uh, this uh, ovarian cancer, and there's any involvement at all whatsoever in that vagal nerve system, the bird's not going to want to eat. Now, putting liquid stuff through, if the if the impairment does not involve um, uh, the total removal then of the of the action of the uh, of the of the vagus nerve and, and and so on, 
it'll allow that material to basically leak through. That's why it can take a little bit longer for it to grow through, and that's why we use it. But very rarely, very rarely do you see a bird that you're tube feeding like that, and then they jump up and they just start eating on their own. Most of them succumb to whatever disease it is. Uh, you know, and, and when I say rarely, maybe not so rare, but those that have done it will know what I'm talking about. You feed, you tube feed and tube feed for week after week after week, month after month, and they just don't, they, they never jump start it. And in many cases, I've tried, um, you know, uh, B12, uh, B12 uh, mixed with uh, digestive enzymes to, to try to, but really when you understand the anatomy of it, if you can't fix that nerve, uh, you can't fix their, their ability to eat. And you'll just have to tube feed them forever, and that's not practical for most most mm -hmm. people. So, right. um, that's usually what we see with this particular um, uh, disease. I, you know, it's not a big uh, uh, talk about it today, but um, uh, you know, when these tumors spread out, <clears throat> they're going to spread out in that body cavity um, over what's called the mesentery tissue, the tissue that holds everything together. Uh, that's another way that it's going to spread out. So between that and the lymphoid system, it becomes, you know, throughout that whole intestinal system real quick. Uh, and, again, you're, you're going to get that more than likely it, uh, it is going to be associated with, with the ascites, and that in itself, uh, you know, is a problem uh, you know, that to, uh, to deal with. So you have uh, the, uh, the tumors spreading everywhere. You have the inappetence to deal with. Um, uh, I, I know uh, of... of one person who's had a bird that continues to uh, to go crop bound, um, and um, that's that's just all part of this whole process. And, and uh, trying to fix it is is almost impossible, uh, and, well, no. and is at the end of the day is impossible. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as much as we all would like to uh, have a uh, uh, you know a better outcome for these things, it's not going to be uh, 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 it's not going to be. Um, the um, okay. the differential diagnosis uh, is trying to know the difference between Marek's lymphoid leukosis, uh, avian ovarian cancer, and ascites. If you know those inside and out, up and down, you could probably make this uh, uh, this call on your own uh, fairly easily, and uh, you know just look at it for what it is. Absolutely. Great information about that, ovarian cancer today with Peter Brown, also known as the chicken doctor. Peter, I'm going to go for a break. Go, go for a, I'm, not, I'm not going for a break. I have to go to a commercial break. But, hey, I have sent you over two emails. We had somebody post a couple of pictures uh, under uh, today's post about the radio show. So we were broadcasting live with you, and they posted. We're not going to get into a long uh, answer question because I need to get out of here and get out of the campground by 1.30. Um, and head back to the homestead huh, after nine months getting back home. Um, but the um, the issue is I sent you two photos with a foot problem. The first photo, uh, I think, is a uh, foot problem, and then you can see the foot itself. Um, and then I've, the second photo is after surgery. She did, she did surgery herself, and she got uh, what appeared to be some type of a fatty tissue or, or tumor out of it. You can see that picture. But she wanted your opinion. She, she, she was told it wasn't Bumblefoot. And so um, she wanted she wanted your so I'm gonna go to commercial break while you check your email and take a look at both of those photos that I sent you. We'll come back. We can address that, and then right. we'll do one question from our chat room from somebody that has a, um, a, a chicken with some uh, swollen eye and um, sniffling, sneezing, 
uh, breathing out of the mouth type of thing. So uh, uh, let's look at that email, and then we'll come back and we'll answer those two, uh, and then we'll uh, we'll call it a day. So uh, thank you very much, right. and I'll put you on. Sure. Put you on. Hold here. Awesome. Very good. Awesome. And so we'll go to commercial break. We'll come back with Peter Brown. We'll do two uh, viewer questions and, and photos, and then we'll uh, we'll call it a day. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this short commercial break. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Introducing the Chicken Fountain, a new way to water your flock. The Chicken Fountain will change your life and keep your chickens healthier by providing clean, fresh water every time. No more daily cleaning of dirty chicken waterers. This semi-sealed system keeps every drop of water fresh and clean. Proudly made in the USA, the Chicken Fountain will provide your flock with fresh, clean water for years to come. To order your Chicken Fountain, visit ChickenFountain.com. That's ChickenFountain.com. Mount Healthy Hatcheries has been a hatching tradition for over 80 years. Home of the healthiest chicks, Mount Healthy Hatcheries offers a wide selection of bantams, turkeys, guineas, ducks, pheasants, and of course, meat birds and layers. Order online at MountHealthy.com. That's mthealthy.com or give them a call at 1-800-451-5603. Don't forget to ask about their free bonus chicks offer. Mount Healthy Hatcheries, home of the healthiest chicks. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFRadio.com. That's GQFRadio.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer, here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website, healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. All right, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the uh, Chicken Whisperer. If you missed any part of today's show, don't worry. It will be archived for your listening pleasure. There are 914 episodes that are archived. I won't be the first to admit some are better than others, but if you do this for six years, you're bound to have a bad show here or there. Um, we've done four times as many shows as the TV show Friends, I think five times more shows than Seinfeld, uh, and so that's a lot of shows. 
and but they're all archived for your listening pleasure. Uh, today I think it was nine fifteen or nine sixteen, so we're approaching that one thousand episode mark. Hey, um, uh, we mentioned uh, jokingly about uh, uh, advancements back in nineteen hundred and eighteen eighties of of uh, you know bird diseases, and I had mentioned that uh, Peter was probably a part of that research, jokingly. But uh, speaking of getting old, tomorrow is my birthday. Uh, I will try to have a show tomorrow on my birthday. I'm going to try to either have Woodtex products come on or um, Extreme Coops. Uh, come on and tell us about their poops and, and the contest and whatnot. But um, I will be turning da, 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 45. Great day. So, um, yeah, so uh, starting tomorrow, I'll just be very depressed for the next uh, you know, few weeks, and 45. And, uh, but anyway, yep, tomorrow, April 22nd, Earth Day. Earth Day is my birthday. How appropriate. So, uh, but nonetheless, uh, that reminded me uh, when we were talking about that and, and age and 45 tomorrow, great day. So, uh, okay, let's get back uh, and bring Peter on, and we'll see if he's had a chance to take a look at those pictures that I have sent him over. And if uh, you, the listeners, want to uh, see the pictures I'm talking about, they are posted on our Facebook page. Underneath the most recent post about broadcasting live, you will scroll down in the comment section and see those pictures so you know what we're talking about. Um, Peter, have you had a chance to take a look at those? Yeah, it's um, really if you look at the the first photo, which is the swelling in the foot. That's that's really uh, a classic bumblefoot. Um, okay, let me jump. You can back. almost see it also coming like coming to a head. That that little uh, that little bullseye spot on there as well. Yeah. I thought you could see. Yeah, on the on the back side of that, and that's typical of of what would happen uh, with these these feet. They become very bulbous. It's a it's a bacterial infection more than likely. Um, and I'll go back and say this again, it doesn't take a, a huge puncture wound uh, like you might expect mm-hmm. with cutting yourself with a knife or anything like that, just an abrasion of the skin, um, not even as bad as when you skinned your knees when you were a kid, uh, just enough to allow bacteria to set up shop and to, uh, uh, you know, to start uh, making a home. And the problem with this that I can see here, uh, it appears to me to be quite large, um, and it appears to, uh, from the other photo, that they did some sort of surgery on it and got some sort of what looks like fatty material out of it, um, mm-hmm. which I'm going to guess because I, I can't necessarily tell uh, 100%, but it's mm-hmm. probably just cellular debris. And th- this is um, what I probably would have done first was medicated and got the foot down to as small as I could with medication first, then... If I couldn't get it down to where uh, where I would consider it normal, I probably would have then excised out whatever was in there. Uh, but lots of times, what happens when you get this cellular debris, and which is just dead cells and 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 so on, um, uh, th- th- there's no real way to get them out uh, once it becomes hard. Uh, that's been my experience o- over the years. And you know, we did a show or so on on Bumblefoot. We talked about. Uh, all of that, and your general medications don't get down to that particular area, so you have to use something um, that is going to work more on the peripheral side of, of things rather than using an antibiotic that would be more in the intestines or more in the respiratory system. Uh, so uh, penicillin might work, amoxicillin might work, cephalexin might work, uh, you know, Batril might work, uh, things of that nature. Um, the cephalexin is a good selection because it's been used for years and years and years in dogs and cats uh, for uh, skin infections. So it gets out to the to the to the outer edges, if you if you like, uh, and we'll be able to generally get in there and, and clean up most of that. But that's probably what we're seeing here. 
uh, and they didn't say whether this was uh, hard, soft, or, or whatever. Um, and it's, it's, they say it grew back. I don't know if it actually grew back or it's just you know more cellular debris, uh, you know, in in the foot from from the infection. But unless they clean up the infection, that thing is just going to get worse and become unmanageable after a while. And I always urge surgery as a very very last uh, resort. I know you can go on the internet and you can find on YouTube people that are doing it and have done it. Oh yeah. And yippee do for them, you know. Um, I just think that uh, you know the recovery time, the um, the chance for further infection uh, is just too great um, unless it's absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt necessary. And then if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. But from my perspective, it would be the last thing I would want to do. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the things that you know that I you know we've talked about it a zillion times here. God only knows, but. You need to pick up your birds on a regular basis, and it doesn't take long. Just pick them up, give them a look-see quick, top to bottom. You can look in their eyes. You can tell in a matter of seconds whether they've got snot in their nose or, or whatever. Uh, and uh, you can look at their feet real quick, put them down, pick up the next one. And, and you know, if you did that once every ten days, that's three times a month, or put the bucket in the yard and watch them, because if they got that kind of lump on the bottom of their foot, guess what? They're going to be high stepping, just like you would if you had a rock in your in your shoe. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be the, it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be obvious. You want to catch it as early as you can. The earlier you catch anything, whether it be human or otherwise, as far as a disease or an infection is concerned, the greater the chances of turning it around in a short period of time without doing surgery of this kind. And uh, you know, to me, it's that's just that important. Yeah. But that's okay. what I see then, from where I'm sitting. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. And uh, last question. We'll try to wrap it up in about five minutes. Okay. Um, a person in the chat room has a question here. They have a 12-week-old um, hen, 12-week-old okay. hen, and uh, for about three days she has noticed um, uh, swollen eye, nasal drainage, sniffly, uh, sniffles, uh, and a little sneezing. Uh, still eating and drinking some, um, and um, so that's that's the key: swollen eye, nasal drainage, sniffly, sneezing, and only eating and drinking some. Twelve-week-old hen. Okay, and she's she's well, live now. Any other information I can get it from you? From her. Okay, is she using any kind of medication now? Uh, I don't think so. And she's does she have any on. any other birds associated with this bird? Um, she says uh, she has no medications yet, and I believe she has six hens all together, and this one is the only one showing any signs or symptoms. Okay. All right. Well, I can't definitively say, you know, what disease it yeah. is. Obviously, it's respiratory. Obviously, she has six other birds in with this one. This one is the only one sick. Uh, it's not a, uh, a very quick-spreading uh, disease. Um I would start with oxytetracycline in the drinking water. Uh, I would put two teaspoons in a gallon of water, and I would give it to all of them. Um, as a, a, I don't usually like to medicate birds that um, are not showing symptoms, but these were all housed together from what I can tell, and um, uh, it might be the smart way to go as far as that's concerned. Um, nasal flushing uh, with either Thailand 50 or LA200 for the bird that has the problems, uh, and step back and see where you go with it. Um, if they need the directions for nasal flushing, 
All you have to do is send me an email at chickendr at firststatevetvetsupply.com, and I'll be glad to send it to them. It doesn't cost them a thing. And um, that's that's probably the way I would do it. You could be looking at, you know, I doubt you're looking at coryza. It could be just an E. coli infection. It could be mycoplasma. Uh, very hard to say without, um, you know, doing some more work uh, as far as that's concerned. But she's lucky in one respect. It's one bird out of out of seven and uh, the mm-hmm. others aren't affected by it yet, so now's the time to jump on it and get a handle on it and get it under control and be done with it. Um, but uh, there isn't anything else that, that I would suggest doing other than, other than that. So the Oxytet in the water, two teaspoons in a gallon of water, and you want the concentrated Oxytet. And um, the nasal flushing will go a long way in getting this thing straightened out. Um, very simple to do. Uh, the directions are free. Awesome. And you can yeah, for, for the herb. That, that's so important. I stress that, and, and, and you get mentioned at every live presentation I do, and uh, I talk about the, the benefits of that, uh, of getting those directions, which is uh, uh, amazing. So, um, Well, just I'm think sure of it this way. Be- if, she, if she had, uh, if she had the, uh, the uh, emergency medication kit in her hands, she could start with the mm-hmm. OxyTet two minutes after we're done with this show. Uh, you know, so she could, you know, she could get on that real quick, and we're getting ready to make some adjustments to the to the kit. Anyway, we're going to put in probably two more products that would be beneficial. It'll probably raise the price a little bit, but um, I think that uh, by putting a a, a, um, a nasal clearing inhale into it, and uh, going to probably put some copper sulfate into it for birds that are sauerkraut as a first line of uh, of treatment. So. Um, but we're, we're, we're actively looking at doing that right now, and uh, probably before summer's done, we'll have that all all fixed up and ready to roll. Awesome. Well, man, great information. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's good to get back into a, a, a norm and uh, all, great to kick it off with, with the chicken doctor uh, on a Monday. So with a great topic and great information for a couple of uh, uh, live listeners. So that's, that's awesome, and I'm sure you'll uh, help them out, and uh, I'm sure they'll contact you if you have any other questions or to order that information that you had uh, recommended. So uh, we'll see you, uh, uh, yeah, next Monday. And uh, appreciate you coming on, and you have a wonderful week. You too. Take care. Happy birthday. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you very much. Tomorrow will be the big birthday, 45. So thanks, Peter. I appreciate it. So do you get your chicken health information from a blog or a forum? You might want to think otherwise. Getting your chicken health information from a blog or forum can be deadly. And you don't want that. We've got 916 episodes from Peter Brown, the chicken doctor, poultry scientist and professor, Dr. Bridget McRae, and other top scientists and poultry vets from around the country on just about any topic you could ever want coming right from the expert's mouth. Okay, so, um, and you can get that at blogtalkradio.com. Zoom.com, podcast.com, and, of course, always free at iTunes.com. I want to say thank you very much for tuning in today. We appreciate it. It's good to, get, it's good to be back. Uh, but, hey, we'll be on the road again before you know it, heading up to the Northeast, meeting more fans and having more fun and spreading the chicken love all across the country more than anybody else with the podcast, the magazine, the tour, the book, and national spokesperson roles right here at chickenwhisperer.com. Thank you so much. None of that can be done without you, our fans, uh, who are interested in the information we want to share, the right information that we want to share. So thank you very much. And uh, 
We just may have a show tomorrow as well, right here at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be posting all that information and who it's going to be tomorrow uh, on our Facebook page. So have a great day, everybody. God bless. Uh-huh.